This meeting is being recorded. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Attract and Stand Out podcast. I'm your host, Darlene Holly, and I am so excited for today's episode. I have with me Sarah K. Ramsey. She is a professional problem solver and relationship expert, and she helps people to create sound strategies for next level success in business and in life. People make over 35,000 decisions a day, Sarah tells us, <laughs> yet decision-making and problem-solving is not a skill that we are taught. So Sarah, I am so excited to have you on the show today and just learn more about how we can make better decisions and how we can solve some of these life problems because life happens, right? There's new conflict, new problems, new stuff comes up every day, and it's how we handle it and how we show up um, that I know makes such a huge difference. So welcome to the show, Sarah. Thank you. And there's a lot of studies because sometimes people say, what is that like professional problem solver and relationship specialist? Like how does, how does that all work together? And I was like, Hmm, when's the last time you heard someone complain about a problem that didn't involve another person? And they're like, Oh yeah. You know, that annoying person at work, that mother-in-law, that ex-husband, that frustrating cousin, you know, and (laughs) it really is most, you know, people are complicated and, understanding people really goes a long way in understanding how to problem solve and most importantly how to have less problems which is the goal yeah and like I was starting to say like we problems happen all the time right like life happens there's once you get two people into a conversation there's opinions there's thoughts there's all the things that come up with that and so much of that can you know dictate how we show up and we have to choose sometimes how we're going to handle a situation versus being reactive and just you know going into like that space where we're grumpy or we're a victim or we're um, not showing up as our true authentic self and how we really want to be. And so um, we'll get to that. But before we dive too far into that, I want to take us back just a tiny bit because I love to start these episodes by kind of hearing your story. Um, Tell us a little bit about like how you came into the work that you're doing today and like what, like how did you find this as your calling and your passion? So I was the world's biggest people pleaser. I mean, just super people pleaser. I think I could have like had a t-shirt, like, of course, PP would be kind of weird to have on a t-shirt, but, and I could have had it on a t-shirt or like a cape or something. And it was as if I went around and had like a permission note and I would go and find people to sign off on my permission note for me to be able to make a decision or solve a problem. Um, And that, I had to okay people in my life. So that went okay for an an amount of time when I was younger. Um, And then I started to decide whether or not I was going to get a divorce. And I was a pastor's daughter. And my former brother-in-law worked at the church my dad did. Okay. So getting that divorce meant splitting a community. It meant I was afraid for my dad's job. It meant I was hurting everyone I knew, much less people in that community being very, very, very against divorce. So like so many people, when I didn't know what decision to make, well, I'll think about it tomorrow. I'll think about it later. I'll just eat a bowl of ice cream. I'll <laughs> watch Netflix. I'll, you know, whatever. And trying to delay that decision. Um, but my body didn't, my body knew better. So my hair started falling out. I was gaining weight, losing weight, couldn't digest my food, then eating a ton of ice cream. I would get Briars cookies and cream ice cream, and I would melt Nutella and put Nutella on top of the Briars cookie. It was very good, but very bad for me. Like, yeah. it was <laughs> and but I was sad. I was, I was so sad and so stressed out coping 
with stress in really unhealthy ways. And eventually I was, um, went for a girls weekend with some of my college roommates, uh, none of who drank or did drugs or anything. So it wasn't a, a big party weekend, but I blacked out while driving. Just the stress took over my body. I was turning left and all of a sudden I wasn't. And my friend grabbed the wheel and they were like, what happened to you? What happened to you? You know, I kind of came to again. Um, and that was my rock bottom moment. You know, that was when I decided, okay, indecision is a decision. Putting off a decision is not tricking anyone except for myself. And it's not tricking my body. It's not tricking my nervous system. It's not tricking my health. And I, I literally could have killed someone. I could have killed the stranger on the crosswalk. It was a, it was in the middle of Charlotte, North Carolina. So, you know, a larger intersection. It yeah. wasn't a, on a small road anywhere. And, or I could have hurt one of my friends. And um, that was really the wake up call I needed to start making some different decisions and to become more decisive, to stop getting everyone to sign off on my permission slip so that I can move forward in my life. Mm. That I can totally relate to the people pleasing piece that you were sharing about because I'm, I'm a yes girl, or I, I used to be a yes girl. Like I would, my calendar would be filled with stuff for everybody else. And then I realized that there was not very much stuff on my calendar that was for me, that was filling me up, that was helping me move my life forward or my business even forward at different points because, you know, the PTA needed support or somebody needed help with something. And I'm, I was always the first person to be like, yeah, of course I can help you. Like I'm a helper. That's kind of my natural um, giving gift is I love to help people and support people, which is awesome as a coach, but it also can make it really hard to show up because like I was saying, like we put so much effort into everybody else. And all of a sudden we, we realize that we're putting ourselves last. And it always makes me think of the airline attendants who are like, put on the oxygen mask first on you and then everybody else. And I've had to work really hard over the past, I would say like five to 10 years now where I've really made it a focus to make sure my favorite question that I ask myself now is if I'm saying yes to this, what am I saying no to for myself? And that's been super powerful for like switching out of like, yeah, I can say yes sometimes because it feels in alignment with where I'm going and what I'm doing. And it's okay sometimes to just say no, like I can't, I'm so sorry. And leave it at that. I don't even have to explain myself, which is what I used to do. Like, oh, I can't do it because let me tell you all the reasons why I cannot. And then at the end of the day, it wasn't serving me (laughs) or the people I was talking to. Right. (laughs) So thank you. It's fancy procrastination, Mm -hmm. right? Which a lot of what my next book dives into is these really funny ways we can procrastinate because if you're saying yes to the PTA, it's a really like high level excuse in your head to not have to start a business or not have to do something scary that puts you out there because, you know, you go to the PTA and people are like, you're such a good mom. We're going to clap for you. And your kids don't care if you're at the PTA meeting, you know, and I go to PTA meetings myself. My kids have never cared if I was there. You know, but it makes me feel better. And and sometimes that is the right decision. And sometimes in my kids' best interest and my best interest in the world in large best interest, I need to be doing something a little more out of my comfort zone. Right. So I hear you say that. And I I'm also obsessed with this, the ways our brains can find to procrastinate in really sneaky ways that make us Mm -hmm. feel good about ourselves. Um, And I, I think that's part of it too. Yeah, absolutely. And we, we find ways that, like you said, like they feel good. They feel good to us. We feel like we're giving back. We're supporting the community. We're helping other people. And then it sneaks up and all of a sudden you realize like that your dreams and your values and the things you're trying to accomplish in life are not being met. So um, 
tell us a little bit about like you had that moment where you were driving and like you realized you had to change things. What were some of like the first steps you took to really taking control and ownership back of your life of how you wanted to move forward? Because I can understand too, like um, I'm not a pastor's daughter, but I've been very involved in the church at different points in my life. And there's a lot that can be tied up in that. Like, how did you get to a point where you realized that your health and your sanity, I'm assuming were like worth the risk of doing something that was felt a little bit scary and a little bit hard. Well, the worst part about that experience was the experience. Obviously it was just terrifying. And the best part is, oh, if I don't make some changes, I'm actually going to die. And that's how I felt about it. I felt that it became a life or death decision at that point. It's kind of like the, you know, I'm, I've, you know, I've never been an alcoholic or anything, but you know, like an alcoholic waking up in that gutter and it's like, I've got to do something about this. You know, that was my, whoa, I have got to do something about this. Um, and my parents had a book that said, women are like spaghetti and men are like waffles. Okay. I okay. didn't read the book. I, I wasn't interested in reading the book, but I went, <laughs> oh my God. My life is like spaghetti and I need to make it more like waffles. Okay. So my dad's job was tied up with my ex-husband's family and I was happened to be working at the church and all my friends went there and it was all is what I call a spaghetti problem. Okay. So you have all these problems interwoven and you feel like if you pull one noodle from the pile, your whole life is going to fall in your lap. Okay. And so I recognized how complicated and interwoven my life was. And I promised myself I would never do that again. I would never get myself in a situation where I could not act in my own best interest because it was so interwoven with other people's lives. Um, and I began to what I call waffle down the problem, which I tried to find one little noodle. Okay. How am I going to communicate to people about my decision to get a divorce? one waffle square. Okay. How, where am I going to live? One waffle square. Okay. I've got to get a new job. One waffle square. Okay. What am I going to tell my kids? One waffle square. Like those are all separate problems to solve. Yeah. But our brain puts them together as if they are one problem. And again, the fancy procrastination, I'm obsessed with, you know, these, these ways our brains find to procrastinate and self-sabotage. And um, when you know, was I capable of solving the spaghetti problem? No. Was I capable of finding somewhere else to live? Yes. Was I capable of finding a new job? Yes. Was I capable of having hard conversations? Yes. Right. And so as soon as I was able to waffle them down, I was able to create action plans that finally got me to move forward. Hmm. I love how you, first off, you made me a little bit hungry, but I love the visual of like the pull it like, cause like we just had spaghetti the other night and like you, like sometimes all those problems are all tangled together. Mm-hmm. And when we can break them and I think of it kind of like decoupling, like moving, like pulling the, um, the actual problem from like the feeling that we're um, having in that moment too, to separate it out so that we're not staying stuck and like, well, how are we going to make people feel? And is this going to be a right decision? Like a lot of that can be like state when we stay in our heads, right. When we overanalyze, we over strategize, we try to make everything perfect, but we know in our gut and in our heart that we have to make a change and we have to make a decision. So I love the visual of like when those pieces off and like putting them into separate little containers, like little waffle waffle wheels. Is that what you would call that? Those little grooves, little waffle grooves. So that like you can handle each problem as it comes at you. 
And you can choose which one you're going to tackle in that day, because some days you're going to need probably more energy to tackle some of those pieces where some might, might be a simple conversation, or it might just be like, once you started, it feels so much energetically, like one piece might open up another door in that moment. It's a bit like a puzzle. And cause people kind of say, well, where do you start? If you've got a big spaghetti problem, you know, did I have to talk did I have to find a new job first or did I have to find a new house first or did I have to have this conversation first? Or did I, you know, and when your life is that raveled, interwoven and it's a big, yeah. it's a big mess, you just got to start somewhere. And the key is getting into action and doing something. Um, and you talked about the, the coupling piece or um, decoupling. And, yeah. Yes. So I call that separating emotional problems to solve from practical problems to solve. Mm -hmm. Okay. The guilt I had over my divorce, possibly affecting my dad's job. And it did. Okay. Wasn't a figment of my imagination. I didn't make it, you know, sometimes people say, oh, it's not, it won't, it's hardly ever as bad as you think it's going to be. It was really as bad as I thought it was going to be, if not worse. It was really terrible. Hundreds of people left my dad's church. There were all these rumors said about him, said about me, all is well now, you know, six years later, all the truth has been all is well now. Okay. But it was not five or six years ago. It was absolute hell five or six years ago. Absolutely. Every bit as bad as I was afraid it was going to be. And, um, you know, it, it, (laughs) it's really scary. And if I'm thinking, okay, emotional problem to solve, practical problem to solve, and I can't decouple those. Okay. Everybody's going to be mad at me. Everybody's going to be mad at me. That is a totally separate problem to solve. Then I need a new job. I can't work for the church anymore and get a divorce. Where am I going to work? How am I going to support myself? Like totally separate problems to solve. And I think, and I love women. I've worked with a ton of women. I am a woman. And I see a lot of women, it, we're more comfortable sometimes solving emotional problems than we are practical problems. And it's like, oh, I'm scared. I'm nervous. I feel guilty. I feel ashamed. I feel worthless. I feel this. And maybe we do, right? But I think about public speaking. And, you know, somebody could say, oh, I'm really afraid to do public speaking. But they have a speech for work the next month. They can solve the emotional problems of, you know, talking to a therapist or someone and saying, I'm really scared about speaking. I'm really nervous about it. What do you think happened in my childhood to make me nervous or I'm introverted or whatever? Or they can go to Toastmasters. They can figure out what they're going to say. They can practice public speaking. And when you start to solve some of those practical problems, rather than getting lost in the emotional problems to solve, you, you really build momentum more quickly and it actually kind of solves the a lot of the emotional problems they kind of go away when you're taking those practical steps yeah absolutely like I do a lot of um work with my clients for their messaging and how they're communicating whether it's you know on podcasts on stages or if it's just part of like how they're communicating and talking to clients and there's a sensation that comes up with public speaking and we name it, you know, fear or worry or self-doubt, or like, we can't do this, but in reality, like it's, it's part of like your message trying to get out of you. It's part of, um, giving you the space to speak up and share your ideas. It's empowering. We, we, we've been trained so much to think that it's like negative, but that it's almost excitement. And like, when you start to speak up and start to share those pieces, 
like so much of your true authentic self comes out and you're able to really connect with the people that you're supposed to. So I love that you like, we're bringing that in the conversation just with, um, like how we're showing up, like how do we, like when we practice, when we walk and talk our speech and we get it in our bones and we feel really confident and good and know, you know, what we're going to say versus if we try to wing it, I'm not a wing it type of person. Like if you put me in front of a, you know, 500 eyeballs, I'm going to have a really hard time winging it until I at least have, give myself, you know, some bullet points or some agenda of what I want to do. And so when we practice it and we kind of start to embody it, it just makes it so much easier for us to show up. So tell me a little bit about then, like, how have you turned this into, like you've, you've transitioned, like you kind of went, like started unweaving all those pieces and you've written a book, you've got a business, like you're out there doing these things. Like what was like the catapult for you to get from that place where you were feeling like unstuck and scared to kind of move forward. And then you started unraveling everything. And now you're at where you're at today. Like, tell us some of like that piece. So I don't usually talk about my dad this much on podcasts, but as a preacher's kid, another weird thing about being a preacher's kid was going to like funerals and nursing homes and, and this kind of thing. And it was, it was great because I've always thought about what beginning, they call it beginning with the end in mind, or like what legacy you want to leave. Like when you're going to a funeral literally every week, because that's what preacher's kids do, you know, it, you always thought, what are the, what do I want them to say about me at my funeral? How do I want to be remembered? How, you know, what mark do I want to have left on the world? Um, And I felt like I had lost so many years to people pleasing that I just really had a fire in my belly uh, to like make the most of it until I was going to get to the, to my own funeral, which probably sounds very dark. And I don't mean it dark in any way. I mean, I mean, leaving a legacy. I mean, leaving the world better than I found it. Um, And so I started my work in the toxic person proof space. You can check out my podcast, toxic person proof or my book becoming toxic person proof. Um, And people pleasers experience toxic relationships. You know, when I'm needing to have everyone sign off on my on my agenda for decision making, you can really end up with some really controlling people who are like, oh, what is best for you is what is best for me. And they can sign off on agendas that are not in your best interest, you know, and and really steer you in um, the wrong direction, which is why my next book is about that decision making process. And uh, my first book was the subtitle is Clear the Confusion and learn to trust yourself, okay? Toxic people leave you confused. Gaslighting leaves you confused. Jekyll and Hyde behavior leaves you confused, right? And so I've always been working in the um, helping people get unconfused and breaking apart those problems. It's just, I'm applying those same skills to leading an employee, right? Um, You have an employee who is overwhelmed, who doesn't know how to unravel that spaghetti and you need them to move forward in a project, right? So take their spaghetti, waffle it down, create action plans. Um, And my, my women in my wondrous woman group in the toxic person proof space just kept getting promotion after promotion. And I would say my husband, he works for large corporations and I'd say, Oh, I had another woman at the race. Oh, I had somebody else at the race today. And he's like, are you teaching them negotiating skills? Like how are all these women getting raises? And I was like, well, I'll ask. And I asked and they said, Oh, 
those problem solving and decision making skills you teach us, we automatically stand out as leaders because if you're in a meeting and everybody's confused and you can clear the confusion and trust yourself in a way that you can present that to others, your boss starts noticing very quickly. You know, yes. your team members are happy about it. You, you are supporting people in healthy ways, not just telling them what to do, but unraveling their own mind in and not manipulative, not manipulative at all. You're not putting noodles in their head. You're just pulling out the noodles and saying, it sounds like what you're talking about is, you know, you don't like Johnny in budgeting. You feel overwhelmed for the last project and you feel a little bit insecure about hitting, you know, your goals this quarter. Is that what I'm hearing from you? And you, you waffle it down for them and they're so relieved usually. Oh yeah, yeah that's what I mean. You know, and it's just this, this sense of gratitude that I think creates great leaders. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think that too, like when you can bring a solution to the table versus absolutely. just the problem, like that's so powerful. You, you, when you said that, it made me think of when I worked in retail management, which is what I did prior to coaching. And I used to tell my team members, I was like, don't come with a problem unless you have a solution attached to it. I'm like, it's not doing us any good. If you come in and you're complaining about something and you got this problem, like come to me and say, Hey, darling, this thing's going on. And this is why it's not working really well. And here's how we can change that. Or here's an idea. And we didn't always necessarily use their idea, but it was, it gave us a, a starting point to start to un uncover where to move forward and where to go. And when we, I think when we stay so focused on the problem, we don't really get to live our lives. We don't get to like, you know, solve the problem, have the solution, get curious, try new things, like get playful. Like that's some of the work that I do with my clients is, you know, role-playing practice, doing things and see what it feels like in your body. What are those sensations? How are you showing up? Does it feel good? Does it feel icky still? What do we need to change? How can we, you know, keep tweaking it until we find the right process that's going to work for us individually? Cause you know, I'm different than you, the same things that you might be doing, might work amazing for you, but they might not work for me or vice versa. And I think that we have to play with that. We have to be comfortable knowing that we're going to try things. We're going to get curious. We're going to see if it works. And sometimes it's going to work great. And sometimes, you know, we're going to go back to the drawing board and we're going to try it again and, you know, we'll get a different result and we'll play with it from there. But I think so often we just want to get it right immediately that we don't let ourselves explore. We don't get curious. And so I love that part of what you talk about is really, you know, addressing that confusion and really trusting that you're going to make the right decision for you. And it doesn't have to be right for somebody else. It just has to be right for you. Mm -hmm. And it, it can be the right decision for right now. You know, mm -hmm. I, in, in that process of perfectionism, right. And it's like, Oh, what is the right thing? And it's like, well, the right decision is to take another step. Yeah. Right. And that might not be the final step. That might not be the same step you need to be taking 10 months from now, right? But to do something there, you know, people get into analysis paralysis and um, talking about their problems instead of solving their problems, like you mentioned before. Um, and according to Stanford, that shrinks our brains. Uh, listening to complaining for 30 minutes a day shrinks your brain or complaining for 30 minutes a day shrinks your brain. So all the managers on here are going, oh, <laughs> gosh, right? Um, and so I really commend you for trying to incorporate solution-based thinking into to that workspace uh, for the mental health. You know, we're in a culture right now. Everybody's like, my workplace is toxic. Yeah. Okay. 
Well, if everyone is complaining all the time and never focused on solutions, yes, you are correct. Mm-hmm. It is actually hurting your brain, right? Much less your stress and all that kind of stuff. So that's really my hope for this book. Um, if someone's leaving a toxic relationship, which is the work I've done in the past, they are very confused. You heard about what a mess my life was at that time. My divorce was terrible. My mental health was terrible. My body was shutting down. I was grouchy. My face was so broken out. My hair was falling. I mean, it's just absolutely terrible. And, you know, if you can make sense from that type of problem, you know, as my clients have done, when you're taking that big of a problem in life and a problem that you're so emotionally connected to and then waffle it down, work problems feel pretty easy, you know, And, and developing that language for the people that you lead to help them, you know, with my clients, I'll say, well, okay, what problem are you trying to solve? Can you waffle it down? Yeah. Can you waffle it down? And sometimes they can, and sometimes they can't. And if they can't, I'll say, okay, may I waffle it down for you? May I tell you what I'm hearing? Very important to ask permission. Yes. Do not want, I do not want to skip that. I, <laughs> Darlene knew what I was doing naturally, but I want to point out for anybody listening, it's very important that step, don't skip that. Just like, oh, here's what you need to do. Boop, boop, boop. You know, that's not what I said. Uh, but looking at that problem and saying, hey, okay, may I may I give you some feedback on what I'm hearing from you? And they'll usually say, yes. You say, okay, I hear you kind of raveling up four or five problems into one problem. Okay. Uh, so I think what I'm hearing you say is, and you you hear you hear the language of me just reflecting their words back to them. Okay. Um, so you're upset with Johnny and uh, Billing. You're nervous about this next project and you're really tired, a little burned out from the last project. Those are the three problems I'm hearing you mention. Is that right? And then they get to be the expert in their life, right? You yeah. want to make sure they're the expert and they can say, oh, you know, that's not what I'm, I'm not really mad at Billy. I think I just had a bad day with my wife this morning and probably I'm really not that mad at Billy. That's probably not a big deal. Let's focus on the other two. Okay, great. Right. Or they may say, yeah, you got it exactly right. Or they may say some people, if they're fancy procrastinators, may want to add 16 more problems to the pile. (laughs) Very nervous when you lay out their problems before them in a way they can actually do something about it. Some people are unfortunately resistant to solving their problems um, just by their personality traits. Uh, So you can give it some time and see what it goes. But if you really develop solution-based thinking and solution-based conversations in your workplace culture, those people are not going to want to be there, which is good because those are probably your underperformers. Yeah. And it can help alleviate some of the conflict that's happening. If you're being really clear and specific about how you're showing up and what's important and you know, helping them lay that foundation piece to it. Like it takes away some of those problems where people all of a sudden are like, they're shifting their thinking before you even have to have the conversation. Cause they're like, okay, I know where we're going to go here. <laughs> I know where you're about to take me, Sarah. <laughs> um, it gives them the ability to start solving their own problems without having to have somebody. It's like the self-coaching piece, which I talk a lot about with my clients. Like we need to self-coach ourselves sometimes. Like it's, I always have a coach for myself, but I'm also self-coaching on a daily basis because that helps me show up as the person I want to be. I don't want to be 
you know, listen, I don't want to listen to that inner critic that's in my head telling me all that, like the negative little chirpy things that it might say at different points. Um, I don't want to cheerlead too much where I'm like, you got this, you can do it, Darlene, just push, keep pushing through, you're fine. And I don't want, you know, you know, you, this is right. And this is wrong. Like all those different pieces playing out. But when we self-coach ourselves, it gives us the ability to ask us really good questions and get curious and we can explore at a d- deeper level who we are and who we're trying to be and how we're showing up for the world around us. So I think that's so powerful when we can, you know, have those conversations at a place where we're solution-based thinking and we're asking ourselves questions. We're getting curious because that's what gets us resolution. That's what helps us get to the other side of things. Like I'm assuming, like, um, I think I heard you mention that you're married. So I'm assuming you're in a, in a happy marriage now and th- like life has changed and things have, you know, transformed from where you were six years ago. And that's powerful. Like when we know like, Ooh, somebody else went from point a where I'm at right now. And they're over here. This looks really good. And I can show up and I can get curious. I can keep digging. I can unravel my spaghetti. (laughs) Um, and you know, just get clear, like how I want to show up and how I want to do this work. As we start to wrap things up, Sarah, like, what do you want people to know? Like, how do you want people to remember this conversation? Like, what are some key things that people can think or recall for themselves that like why they need to connect back to you? Spaghetti, waffle, action. Okay. Once you see this, you can never unsee it. There is a deep promise to me that in the next week, someone is going to come to you with a problem and you're going to say, oh, that's that spaghetti stuff that Sarah K. Ramsey girl was talking about. I promise, I promise, I promise, right? And and you'll go, huh. And then you'll start to listen and you'll say, huh, can I figure out the waffle squares? Okay, and that's the first step, kind of seeing that with someone else. It's much easier to see when you're not emotionally connected to the problem, right? And that's okay. I wish, I do want to lead by example and not just analyze other people's problems, but lead ourselves as well. Um, But it's, this is how to learn the process, right? Um, And then figure out if, if you're talking to someone who's focused on the problem, or focused on solutions and, and see if you can just <laughs> gear them just a tiny bit, get that little rudder on the back of the boat and maybe say, you know, uh, are you open to talking about some solutions? Are you open to trying to differentiate these problems out into smaller problems? Um, and, and just start from there, but definitely that, that process of spaghetti waffle action. Awesome. Such a, I, I love the visual. There's nothing better than having a visual. I'm a ver- visual learner myself. So like you drew me a beautiful picture <laughs> to take with me, which I so appreciate. Um, as we start to wrap things up, I want to go into rapid fire questions just to get to know you at a little bit of a deeper level. Nothing hard. I promise. Um, when you think about how you like to like reset and reflect in your life and on your days, like what's something that you like to do to recharge, um, when life gets a little bit out of control or crazy? I definitely um, do an hour of sadness in yoga, which is kind of sound a little crazy, but if I'm upset, or I have, you know, um, stressed out or there's emotions that I need to process that I don't want to kind of get stuck in my body. I don't want to practice extra sadness and become addicted to it and just kind of woe is me and and sad, sad, sad. But I also want to give time for those emotions to process through, to feel my feelings. And so I will often, you know, do 
a YouTube video or something of yoga. And if I'm sad during that entire hour, or if I want to cry, or if I want to pout, or if I want to be mad, I can do it all in that hour on that mat. And then I have to get off the mat and I have to go be a grown up again. And I have to do what I know I should do rather than what I feel like I should do. Um, and it's, it's been a good balance for me and giving me space to, to pout or be mad or be upset or, and then space to hit the reset and say, okay, you had your literal pity, pity party, right? Yeah. You had a pity party and now you don't want to carry that on for the next week. So that's one of my favorite tips. I love that. Perfect. Um, there's not, it, there's definitely moments where it's so good just to sit in the moment and feel the feels and then like give yourself some space and then you can start to, you know, uncover where to go from there. So I love that you have like the sad yoga. It's like, it's a great way to think about it. (laughs) And I want to tell people it's pretty miserable. Like feeling the feels is kind of miserable. I wish, I think sometime in the coaching language and when I was earlier in my journey, I kind of thought, okay, so maybe at some point feeling the feels like won't be that bad or won't feel so terrible. And you know, I'm not suffering from PTSD anymore, anything like that. So it doesn't feel like I'm falling down a well that I can't figure out how to climb up. Um, But I also want to kind of lean into feeling the feelings is not another way of spiritual bypassing or positivity bypassing. Like it does suck. And I wish I didn't have to do it. And sometimes I get pouty about it. And I'm like, I'm just over it. Like, can I not, you know, skip this part? Like, I have I not earned the right to skip this part? You, you've heard a bit about some of the hard things I've been through. Can, can I not earn the right to skip this part? And I haven't figured out how to do it. So, so I do want to say that just because I feel like even feeling your feelings has come become one of those things that we're used to hearing now and kind of leaning into, yeah, it does suck. Sorry. Yeah. You, gotta, you have to explore it and it's okay. We're going to all have bad days. We're going to all have life, ha- life happens type things happen. And, you know, we, we get to sit with it for a minute before we move forward and we get to choose how we move forward when we decide to start that process, but it's okay to, like you said, like sit in it for an hour or sometimes sit in it for a couple of days, like feel the feels, allow yourself to feel what's going on. And then you get to choose how you respond from there. Mm-hmm. Um, tell me about the biggest influencer in your life. Who would you say has made the biggest impact in your life? I'm going to have to say my dad after all this, all the conversations <laughs> my dad today. Um, two things that my parents did really well. My mom, um, she, you know, there's that whole idea of like, don't talk to strangers. I think my mom's philosophy was always talk to strangers, you know, uh, being a preacher's kid and that kind of thing. It was just like, oh, here's a new person. You should go meet them. Here's a new person at the grocery store. Go be nice. And that was part of my uh, preacher's kid culture is having to meet all these new people. An incredible gift now in life, you know, and my ability to talk to people, um, and meet new, like meeting new people is a joy. It's not scary. You know, I had social anxiety about being stuck in my house, not coming out of my house. I had social anxiety about not being around new people, uh, which is when I started my podcast, Toxic Person Proof. And uh, so but then my dad is just, you know, I, one of the reasons I felt so bad about the divorce is he's just a good person. And he, um, 
is the same wherever he goes. He really talks about the word integrity and lives out the word integrity. And that is something I'm, I think I'm doing pretty well on, but uh, it's something I hope my kids say, you know, she wasn't one person on camera and one person off camera. She wasn't saying one thing in church and another thing, you know, at other places, she was consistently in aligned, in alignment with her integrity. That's the yes. yes, yes, yes. I still love both those because, um, especially that the integrity piece, like I want people to feel like they know me if they listen to my podcast, they see me speak on stage, they meet me for coffee. They like how we've connected. I want them to feel like they're getting the same person. And I've met people through the online world, right. Where they show up, they showed up one way and then I met them and I was like, Ooh, like you are not the same as like who I thought you were. And that's such like a break of trust when we can be authentic and true to who we are in every setting and just show up as ourselves. There's so much power in that. There's so much, um, ability just to shine in those moments. So I love that you brought that into the conversation and I won't take us there, but I almost wanted to take us down a rabbit hole about like the, t- not our parents telling us not to talk to strangers. And then like your mom told you to talk to strangers, but then now we have these businesses where we're meeting people all over the world and I just love it. <laughs> so there's so much, so much fun. We'll have to save that for another episode. But, um, my last question for you, Sarah is what does attract and stand out mean to you? I'm going to say, I'm going to go with that integrity and lead into that, lead into that more. Um, just, gosh, we are a world who loves to be entertained and rather than a world that chooses to take a stand. Um, and sometimes we take stands on things, but it's, we take stands on things that are like kind of the, the group kind of group think, right. I'm not talking about anything politically or this, anything like that. It's just, that's what we kind of do, you know, and there's, there's things that's cool to take a stand on and things that's not cool to take a stand on. And, you know, being in alignment with an integrity is just like in school kind of standing up for the kid who's being picked on. Right. And that's going to look different when you're 40 at, at work or at home or whatever, but just, um, really, being aware and knowing who you are and really trying to live out those values everywhere you are. Yeah. Love that. Thank you, Sarah. Um, people are going to want to connect with you. They're going to want to, um, get to know you better. Where do, where should they go? Well, I definitely, my, um, podcast, long running podcast is toxic person proof since these are all podcast listeners and, uh, my new book problem solved simple habits for complex decisions is coming out September. So definitely check out for all the explanations on the spaghetti waffle action, emotional and versus practical problems and how to lead yourself and others. And along with that book launch, I'll be launching a new podcast, which is problem solved decision made. So I would love to have everyone join me at those, at those spots. Awesome. And we will make sure all those links are down below in the show notes so that you can find Sarah and follow her journey with her new book and her new podcast and all the amazing things you're doing. Um, Sarah, thank you so much for being here. Um, I know this book's going to make such a huge difference in the world. The more that we can, you know, lean into our gifts and our calling, it really, that ripple effect is so huge. So thank you for showing up and being yourself and continue to have these conversations because the world needs more of that. Um, thank you so much, Sarah and everybody. That's a wrap for another episode of the attract and stand out podcast. I will see you guys again next week.
And remember, I believe in you. You're allowed to stand out. You're allowed to shine. You're allowed to be you. Take care.